Do you want your middle school girl to grow into a strong, confident, and resilient young adult? So do I. The only thing is, middle school's hard for both kids and parents. Welcome to the Raising Middle School Girls podcast. I'm Janice Scholl, and I'm just a regular parent on a mission to uncover the best tips and advice for raising middle school girls. Hey there, parents. Janice Scholl here. In this episode, we're talking about the skills our kids really need to be developing for success in a rapidly changing world. I'm joined by Dr. Kevin Fleming, who is the absolute perfect person for this discussion. Kevin is a passionate advocate, ensuring all students intentionally equip their potential, enter the labor market with a competitive advantage, and find their purpose. Thank you so much for being here, Kevin. Thanks for having me, Janice. I'm super excited to to speak to your listeners and followers today. You know, we all want to raise kids who are successful, and we have different definitions of what successful looks like. But in the middle school years, I feel like we're preparing for high school, which is preparing for college, which will ultimately prepare our kids for the real world. I just want to start by asking you, how would you rate our education system for preparing our students for life after school? That is a a brilliant, brilliantly phrased and loaded question <laughs> because <laughs> I think I, I, I as a, an advocate of public the public system. I mean, having been uh, you know college graduate, a college dean, a college vice president, I believe in our system in public education K through sixteen in America. But I think it's doing a really good job of preparing students for more school. I think I would give it an A minus. Good, you know, good mark for preparing students for the next grade and for the, the next educational transition. But your question is loaded because you're asking them about preparing them for life. I'd have to say it's it's mediocre at best. I, I think I'd give it a D, and that's someone that's in the system because I think for so long we've been measuring the wrong things, and we've had some of the wrong perspectives of how to define success. Even for me myself, you know, having gone through two bachelors, two masters, and a PhD, I spent more time in school as a student after high school graduation than before high school graduation. And I think we are sometimes taught and we're convinced that the more piece of paper you get, that's what's going to make you successful. And the world has just shifted so much of late that that's not necessarily false, but it's an incomplete truth to assume that just by getting your high school diploma, just by getting a college degree, that that will make you successful. And I think t- today's parents of middle schoolers are starting, you know, a lot of, from our experiences, like we know we're in our thirties, our forties, like we know what has happened to us and to our families. And so I think we know that that's no longer complete, a complete holistic truth anymore. Yeah. I really like the way you used the word incomplete. It's not, you know, our our schools do an excellent job of many things, but there is only so much our teachers have the capacity to do with the number of students they have and with the breadth of knowledge we're trying to put into kids. And you mentioned that you have quite a few degrees. I would love for you to share your story. Yeah, absolutely. So I am, like many of your listeners, I'm a first generation college student. So my dad is in the army. My mom is a stay-at-home mom. They wanted what was best for me. They wanted their their both their sons to be successful. So I was urged, directly and indirectly, to go on to, to school. So I ended up enrolling, after graduating from high school, I enrolled in a small private residential liberal arts institution, expensive residence halls. I remember signing a stack of paperwork at, at 18 years of age, not really understanding compounding interest or anything like that. And I and I just believed 
that it would pay off. And so I got two bachelor's degrees. And when I graduated, I frankly couldn't find a job because my degrees were in psychology and philosophy. They, they help someone be a good critical thinker. The, what I affectionately call the ology degrees, sociology, anthropology, they help people definitely, yes, be a critical thinker. But there's a gap, there's a chasm between being a good student and then being productive in the workforce. And, and when I say workforce, that's either as an employee or as an entrepreneur. And, and so I found myself you know, interested in sales, but never got any training in sales, interested in entrepreneurship, never was had any any facilitated experiences in school and entrepreneurship. So I did what most people do. You know, I enrolled in college and, 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 and I graduated. And then I, having myself not able to do anything, I just kept going to school. <laughs> like that's almost the default. I think it was Uber uh, about one or two years ago, they put out a report that over 78% of their Uber drivers have a bachelor's degree. So you can kind of, you know, use that information as, <laughs> as you wish, but there's a lot of folks out there that have the paper, but it doesn't always translate into meaningful, productive, valued, you know, in-demand work. So I went on and got my master's degree in school. They don't call it that, of course, Janice. They call it educational policy and leadership with an emphasis in student affairs. It sounds very fancy, but it's a degree in school. And and then I got a second degree in an MBA. I was interested in the business side. And, and to be totally candid, I found myself one day looking at my four beautifully framed degrees on the wall, feeling proud. You know, I did it. I made it. I did what society and my parents and my high school counselor told me to do. I had the pieces of paper, but I was underemployed, not unemployed, right? So unemployed, we know, is if you don't have a job. Underemployed is when your wages don't equate to what it should for the degree you had, right? So I had four degrees and I was I was making $36,000 a year, adjusted for inflation now. That was 15 years ago. Maybe that's, you know, 50 grand a year. And, and it was hard to make ends meet because, frankly, my Sally Mae student loan payments that even if you declare bankruptcy, they stick with you. Like the, they, I didn't calculate that in my life and I couldn't afford rent, car insurance, entertainment, food, gas, you know, and my student loan payments. And I went through, I know you talk really candidly about issues with your, with your listeners. So I mean, I went through depression and a little bit of this, I had that midlife crisis in my late twenties. Like, what did I do wrong? Like I was supposed to be successful and, and I, and I did all this schooling and I, and I, and I was employed. And I was happy. It's not that I was miserable in my in my job working in higher ed, um, but I wasn't financially viable. And and I think we don't do a great job at helping our students be good consumers of education, to know what their options are, to know what the payoff will be, to know what the cost will be, to talk about total costs with with inflation plus you know uh, interest. We don't talk about that. And and so we have. You know, I graduated and candidly, I was over $240,000 in student loan debt. And a lot of students are graduating with tens, if not hundreds of thousands of debt under that belief and promise it'll pay off. And sometimes it does, right? Sometimes it does, but I didn't make the wisest of choices. Now, if I could go back in time, I mean, shoot, I don't have a DeLorean, like back to the future and go back and tell my younger self, you know, give some advice or something, but I, I don't know what exactly I would have done differently, but I think I would have made some different financial investments. I, I maybe would not have, you know, studied abroad as much or done as, as many student loans or private institutions as much. I, I might've gone to a state school. I might've spent more time at the community college. I might've understood how to maximize my learning in and out of school and not just rely on quote unquote, the system to give me everything that I, I need. Cause like you said, we have great teachers. We have powerful, you know, student-centered, really mission-driven educators, but they're in a system that if 
we can be candid. We have to understand as parents, the system wasn't designed for customized individual education for every student that aligns who they are with the world of work. It was designed to create passive, docile factory workers that sat in rows that, uh, you know, that, that uh, aligned to a bell schedule that didn't ask too many questions and, and got, you know, consumed information and performed on demand. And that's the system we've had for nearly a century. And the world has changed. And we're seeing, you know, a lot of parents and, and pockets of schools that are doing things differently, that are really looking at the holistic three-dimensionality of a student and, and, and providing different opportunities. And so my research really from my experience is like, hey, like I, I don't regret what I did, but man, I, I did it the wrong, quote unquote, wrong way. And I, I really want to spare others from blindly getting the student loan and getting a degree in anything when they don't even know what that degree is going to yield towards. Like I think graduation is not the destination, but it's a milestone. It's an important milestone, but that's not the end of the race. So we have to have really honest conversations with our kids about, okay, like not just what interests you, but what's your aptitude? What were you designed for? What are some of your gifts? Where do you find flow? It's not just what subjects are of interest. Because the problem with interest in middle school in particular is you're only interested in things you've been exposed to. And most of our most of our girls haven't been exposed to the whole gamut of opportunities. The, the Department of Labor says there's over 950 jobs that exist. It, it, you, it would take you years at one occupation a day to research them all. So part of it's interest, but part of it is awareness and exposure and aligning our girls with really what their aptitude is, their unfulfilled potential. They may not know what a sonographer is or a logistician, but may, they may have the, the, the foundational you know, abilities to do great in something like that. And, and are we going to have a seventh or eighth grader pick their life trajectory? Heck no. But we can at least start to expose them and point them in the types of things that might be a good fit for them. I mean, the, the one thing that I like to say is you know, when I get in front of students or parents, I say, you know, the stat is that today's high school seniors will have 14 jobs by the time they graduate. Actually, 14 jobs by the time they're 40. So in between wow. high school graduation and 40 years old, imagine that 14 jobs. I won't put you on the spot to ask you how many you've had, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm getting close to that. And, and I think the world of getting one job and picking one occupation, that's no longer the reality, right? Students are going to churn. So I like to tell students, hey, don't pick what you're going to do the rest of your life. Just pick what you want to do first. Oh, and the pressure that alleviates some of that pressure, right? Yeah. It, it alleviates the pressure, and I also think it changes the way you look at secondary education. Because if I think, what am I going to do next? I'm going to consider what that cost, what that investment in education is differently than if I think, well, I'm going to do this, and it's going to set me up for the next 35 years. That's right. And, and you said cost, right? And cost, I think about it in two ways. There's the financial cost, but it's a cost of time. Yeah. I mean, part part of my my respectful critique of secondary education today is that we have these graduation requirements that are fixed regardless of the human being, regardless of their ability, their potential, their desires, their interests, their abilities, their knowledge base, or, or their, their past experience. We say you've got to do this list of things. Well, that makes it very, very, frankly, it makes it not relevant. It makes it irrelevant for a lot of students when they're studying something, that a quadratic equation or something that has, or, or French poetry, and, and it has nothing to do with who they are or what they want to do. I mean, I like to quip sometimes that schooling is the only thing we pay for as a society when the students cheer when it gets canceled. Like, could you imagine, 
<laughs> buying a, a you know sporting a, you know tickets to an athletic event, a sporting that your favorite team, or for a concert, and then it gets canceled. We don't cheer. We're like, dude, we want our money back. When is it going to be rescheduled? But when class is canceled, especially in college, students are like, woohoo! Like I I, don't, I paid tuition and didn't get anything for it today, right? <laughs> And I think that's because they don't find it relevant. They're jumping through hoops for the sake of jumping through hoops. But when a student is really involved in something and they love it and they're passionate about it and they're learning about it and they're immersed in it, whatever that may be, then when that, when that engagement opportunity gets canceled, they're bummed. And I, and I think for every time a student is glad school is canceled, I think that is, as parents, that's a, that's a canary in the coal mine. That's a red flag. They should give us pause and say, wait a minute. You know, why is my student not finding relevance in what they're learning? And then what does that mean we need to do either in the school system or alongside the school system out of school to help give that that content meaning? Because I believe I made a, you know, I said quadratic equation and I don't want to pick on on math, but a lot of math we learn is is somewhat irrelevant for a student, but it's all contextually relevant. And and every time a student learns a geometry equation. Or, you know, if they're learning about sines and cosines, it's not a matter of whether they need it or not. But the question is, how do they apply it? Like, so what? Like, how does this work in the real world? People every day use the quadratic equation. I just wasn't one of them. Janet's like, I've never, I've never needed that. But it doesn't mean it's not needed. But how do we make, how do we find that relevancy for every student in every class every day? And if it's not relevant for them, then we have to pause and say, then why does my student have to spend X number of hours learning this? when it, it may not contribute to what they want to do. So I, if I were king of the world, <laughs> and my wife likes to remind me I'm not, um, we would have <laughs> customized high school graduation requirements and everyone has their own path that they could do in their own speed. Because we all know some some kids learn faster than others. Some youth need a little more time or or if they're, if they're rapid learners, why do we hold them back in a way, right? And we talked about the cost of time. Every time we have a student taking a class, biology, chemistry, math, whatever, that's time they're not taking something else that they might find more interesting. Drafting, engineering, search engine optimizing, cybersecurity, culinary arts, you name it. And, and I know there's a lot of students that when done well, they learn more math in construction and drafting class than they, they do in math class. Because that geometry matters when you're building a house. Like now you, you understand where, where a, a, a squared plus B squared equals C squared matters when you're trying to hold up a wall. Um, it's not just knowledge for its own sake. So yeah. I, I am a, a respectful, um, I, I'm very, I'm, I'm an advocate, but I'm a respectful critiquer of, of what I think we need to do. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm respectfully dissatisfied with what we're doing because I think we've taken the human out of the learning experience and we've tried to mechanize it and automate it to such a scale that we've lost that, that personal customization around what our learners are doing before they graduate from high school. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. What you're talking about is the ultimate personalization to give the individual the ability to find what they're passionate about and what they are skilled at, what they naturally gravitate toward to find that perfect fit. It is it is not at all, it, from what I'm hearing, that you advocate, look at education for the sake of safety and wage only. No, absolutely not. And and in fact, I would encourage all of your, everyone listening, if you haven't done this before, open up a browser on your phone or your computer and Google image the word ikigai. Uh, ikigai is a Japanese term. Uh, it's spelled I-K-I-G-A-I. And ikigai is this term about the thing that gets you up in the morning 
What's the thing that gets you out of bed? And there's a great, if you Google image it, there's a great Venn diagram of four circles that really, um, you know, addresses what a student's ikigai is. And it's, it really addresses, you know, what's the thing you love? What are problems the world needs solving? What can you get paid to do? And what are you great at? And if we can help all students find the intersection of those four things, it might have some career applicability. It might have to do with schooling and what major to pick or what job to get to, but it's really about how to be your best self. And I've never met a parent yet that doesn't want their child to be the best version of them possible. And, and of course, we want them to be productive members of society and have a good wage and provide for themselves and do something meaningful to contribute to their community. Yeah. And the way we could do that, though, is by really going through in my research it's called the, the four skills and the four steps. And, and it's really walking through as, as simplistic of a framework as possible to help all learners understand and give a framework of questioning about how, how can you be not just prepared for the world after high school graduation, but have a competitive advantage in the world? How can you be in demand and be dangerous in a good way to really be able to add value, again, as an employee, as an entrepreneur, as a homemaker, as, as a, in service in the military, as an apprentice, as a college graduate, whatever that initial path is, how do we make sure it's aligned with who you are? And, and what you're, you're, you're designed to do. So I, I have that schema that, that really hopefully will help parents, but I encourage the, to Google Ikigai and kind of look at that a little bit and discuss that with your, with your middle school girl. Yeah, I think that's helpful. And in your book, Redefining the Goal, you talk a lot about how folks can help their kids redefine the goal and identify what path is appropriate for them. Can you tell us about the four skills that our kids really need in order to be successful in the next phase of life? For sure. And these will seem somewhat intuitive I think, to everyone listening. Uh, the, the four skills are, first is, is academic knowledge, right? So th definitely we want all of our girls to have, you know, reading, writing, applied arithmetic, the ability to pick up something, read it, understand it, apply it, and explain it to others, right? So we need to have that academic foundation as the first skill. And that's what our public schooling often focuses on the most. But the second skill all of our girls need are life skills. Now, this is everything from proper nutrition, you know, goal setting, time management, financial management, things that, you know, that maybe school doesn't teach. There might be nonprofits and other community groups, whether it's uh, Girl Scouts, American Heritage Girls, you know, a lot of other groups that might teach these things. But it's, if they learn them in the home or out of the home, but it's important we kind of discuss them and track them because those are things that are going to transcend school and, and regardless of their career they go into. The third skill that I talk a lot about is employability skills. Now, this is not just getting a job. I'm not just talking about interview skills and a resume. I'm talking about understanding how to find a good fit between you and the world of work, how to identify changes in industry so you're always on the cusp of what's coming and you don't find yourself out of a job. I'm talking about managing up and getting promoted and pivoting throughout your career and adding value and being nimble and creative in, in understanding of the world of work. And then the fourth skill is technical skills. And that's the only one of the four that is kind of industry specific, right? Everyone knows, you know, the technical skills you need to be a nurse are different than the technical skills you need to be a teacher. So, I mean, obviously th that becomes a little bit more refined in, in high school and beyond, but, but I believe all high school students need those four and they can start in middle school understanding them, learning about them, doing informational interviews, talking about, you know, understanding what are those life skills they need. And there's actually increasingly a lot of curriculums, books, activities, online modules that help uh, middle school girls understand how to, how to fill any holes in, in looking at all four of those skills. So again, that's the academic skills, the life skills, the employability skills, and the technical skills. 
And in my book, I talk about the four steps. And I have an animated video I should mention on the, um, if, if those of you, we mentioned the book, but if you just want in seven minutes, if you want to just watch the free animated video to get this, you could watch it with your, with your kids and, and it walks you the four steps also of the right order to go about learning these. So the first of four steps is self-awareness. And again, this isn't earth breaking to anyone. Like, yes, we, you know, for thousands of years, the Oracle of Delphi even talked about know thyself, right? This isn't a new concept, but how do we help our middle school girls really understand who they are? Like, what do they love to do? What are they good at doing? What's their personality? What's their aptitude, right? We can have them do things like online, True Colors, Holland Code, Myers-Briggs, Dreamcatcher. The Dreamcatcher program is a great one I, I like to promote. Or Use Science. There's a lot of programs on there that, that parents can, can do with or, or for their, their kids. And, and sometimes schools provide this. Sometimes they don't. Or they might provide just one. Like the high school counselor or middle school counselor might provide one kind of assessment. I believe students need to do multiple, starting especially in seventh or eighth grade, because they start to, they don't prescribe anything, but they start to describe. They start to describe the way you think, the way you get energy, the way you interact in the world. And it helps us to open up, give our students language about, about who they are and what their strengths are. So self-awareness is the first of four steps. The second step is career exploration. And this can start as early as elementary school. I mean, I, I wrote a, a children's book when my daughter was five because I thought even at that age, you know, students need just to understand that there's a lot of jobs out there and there's a lot of, of different pursuits they're going to have and they don't have to pick just one thing in their life. They're going to do many things. So career exploration is really about digging deep and understand whether it's job shadowing, whether it's informational interviews, you know, online, whether it's just talking to, to family members and friends, watching videos online, doing community service in different facets. You know, like, for example, if you have a middle school girl that's in any way interested in engineering, design, building, math, then a great thing to do is Habitat for Humanity. They don't need a worker's permit. You don't have to be 18 years of age, but for one day, you, they can work side by side and see how, how all these different principles of building science and, and math equations and how it actually is practical application. And in any industry, in any trade, there's ways to, in middle school, to start exploring and getting hands-on experience with these things. So that's the second step is career exploration, really asking, you know, not what are you good at, but what can you get paid to do? What are the occupations that exist? What are the industries that are emerging? How are certain industries changing? If they're involved in medical, if they're interested in maybe the medical field, how is medical, the field of medicine changing given, you know, 3D printing and new technologies, right? The third of the four steps, you have self-awareness, you, self you have career exploration. The third is career planning. This is where we start getting later in middle school about, okay, what classes do you take? What CTE classes, what a advanced placement classes, what international baccalaureate classes, what out-of-school experiences, what work experiences do we need to, you know, starting in around ninth grade, 10th grade, that will start to discuss and verify that alignment between your tentative career goal and your own personality and skills and aptitude. And it's, it's still, it's exploring, but you start to plan now. So now we get into selecting courses, selecting mentors, selecting uh, activities, really start to breathe life into that. And then, and then the fourth step is then to set up that high school education plan that goes high school, post-secondary and beyond in their first or even second career. There's a great website called mytenureplan.com where they ask ninth creators to do, to do a 10-year plan. And the glory of that is it gets them through high school, through any post-secondary initially, and then into work. And it gets appropriately ninth and 10th graders to think about what does the next 10 years of my life look like? You know, And it's not etched in stone. Obviously, there's a lot of permeability to it and a lot of flexibility to it, but it's not too soon in eighth and ninth grade to start having that conversation of that first career. And the best advice I can give is to start reverse engineering 
uh, really people that uh, are in the workforce doing that kind of work your middle schooler is interested in and then have a discussion about, well, who are they? What are their job titles? Where do they go to school? And just start reverse engineering that. Um, I want to give credit to my uh, a colleague that works with my company, Catapult. His name is JP Michelle. He's an award-winning career development expert. And he actually calls this the challenge mindset where you we get our, our girls to think about a, a problem in the world or a challenge they want to solve. We can hand them a copy of The Economist and say, what article in here is of interest to you? Maybe it's one about cleaning the oceans, right? So they say, okay, let's go online and find out what are firms that are cleaning the oceans. And we could do a Google, Google search. We could find companies that are working on cleaning the oceans. Then we go to Google. We see who's working in those companies and we see the titles they have. And then we can go to their profile and say, hey, here's this woman. She's cleaning the oceans with this company. Where did she go? And it, within 10 minutes, you know, we can look at what, where did she go to school? What is her job title? What did she learn? What does she like to do? And, and that will start to reverse engineer for our girls. Okay, there's, there's people doing this work. What does it look like? What was their path? And then to take it even deeper, I'd recommend then they can even reach out to them and say, hey, my name's Janice. I'm a middle school, middle schooler. I'm interested in maybe cleaning the oceans. Can I do a 20 minute, you know, you know, Google call or Zoom call with you and just ask you about what you did? Because I found you online and I saw your LinkedIn profile and it's super interesting to me. Man, I mean, what's everyone's favorite topic to discuss, right? It's it's themselves. That oceanographer, that bio, biomedical engineer, they're going to get that email from your daughter and say, who's this brilliant eighth grader that's reaching out to me? And, they're, and nine out of 10 of them will say yes. And now your daughter gets this. You could be sitting next to them as they have this cool little informational interview, this conversation with someone doing this work. And the result of that 30-minute conversation can be your daughter getting more excited about this or hanging up and saying, meh, it's not really what I thought it was. That sounds, you know, maybe it's not what I want to do. Cool. Like that is equally as powerful to start exploring and realizing maybe that's not what I want to do. I'll end with this. I had a, uh, a student I worked with that wanted to be a veterinarian common, common, you know, sixth, seventh graders, you know, they want to, you know, work with kitty cats and puppy dogs. And then they realized, oh no, you got to work with snakes and turtles and horses and your hands get dirty and put into dark places. And oh, maybe I don't want to do this. And so I had a, a, a seventh grader that learned maybe vet, being a veterinarian wasn't what she thought it was all cracked up to be and decided maybe that's something she's interested in with animals. She loves animals, but maybe not in that environment. She actually started looking at, at zoology and being an animal trainer, different than related, but separate from a veterinary hospital. But she wouldn't have known that if she didn't do an informational interview with a veterinarian. So that's thing, that's a really tangible thing we could be doing with our girls now. Again, it's under that getting that training, the education and training plan outlined. Once they've done those four steps, again, career, you know, for starting with self-exploration and, and self-awareness, then rather career exploration, then career planning, and then an education and training plan. And if we do in those four steps, and I have on my website free links and in my book some resources about it. But in that order, guarantees our students to have far more intentionality when they go into high school. And, and they, have, they have a goal. There's light at the end of the tunnel that gives them something to shoot for. It helps to develop that intrinsic motivation. And their eco guides, that thing that gets them up in the mornings. And they realize why that class in school matters because they know how it applies to you know, cleaning the oceans or working in it as an animal trainer. And that gives them that, that relevancy that so many of our students are unfortunately missing. I really like this. And there's a couple of reasons why at this exact age, I think it's so perfect. And it's what you said before about the quadratic equation, right? Like the kids don't know how it's relevant to their lives. And so they're trying to learn something that doesn't have meaning to them yet. And so when we're able to tie the lessons of today 
back to something that they're passionate about, that they care about, that only helps incent them to learn. And if it's intrinsic motivation, it's completely different than, no, you have to do this because this is your seventh grade standard. So I think that piece of it is so important. The other thing I find is middle school girls are incredible. They like they get to sixth grade and they suddenly their eyes are opened up to the world and injustice and what they want to fix. It's like they their world just moved beyond their family and their classroom of friends to everything. And they see things in a way that we as adults don't. And they do want to make change. They do want to affect change in our world. And and what a greater way to empower them and help build their confidence that they have the capacity to do these things than to give them a path and then have them talking to the people who are doing that so that they can actually see how they play a role into this as well. So I just really love that you're able to kind of address what our kids are missing in that connection and also incent them to to build the path to what they care about, to build the path to where their skill set are. That's right. And and we need to recognize as parents that the public school system will get our kids about 50 to 60% of the way. And we have to augment and supplement what they get in school. And, and as always, I know you've spoken about on this before, you know, be advocates for the classes they're getting. And, and, and that does require, you know, maybe rolling up the sleeves a little bit and going in and having a conversation with the principal and, and maybe a, a district transfer or an IEP and all these other things. And, and sometimes that's absolutely necessary and required, but the school system can only do so much and it was set up to do certain things. So this really is about braiding what they get in the classroom with their life outside of class. And, and you nailed it. You know, when, when a sixth grader's eyes start to open up, sometimes it's fifth grade, sometimes it's eighth grade, but when their eyes open and, and they realize how big the world is and the problems that exist and whether it's environmental, political, economic, social justice, there's, there's, there's no shortage of problems to get excited about solving. Right. And, and yeah. so give them really the, the, the most important, there's a lot of research out there. The most important thing for girls now is that mentorship and the fancy academic term for it is social capital. And social capital, it's it's knowing people that are doing the things you want to do. And it's having people that, even if it's not in your home, even if you don't know in depth maybe about this world your child is interested in, but to facilitate them to meet other men or women that are doing this, to give them that sense of agency, that social capital, that mentorship, that insight. I've seen time and time again you know, middle school girls that will reach out and do some informational interviews and they end up with a mentor. And that mentor ends up kind of, it doesn't have to be a formal program. It doesn't have to be boys and girls club, but it ends up being someone that they connect with on a regular basis. And it's someone that takes an interest in just sharing information with your daughter in, in appropriate ways and, and giving them exposure to this field. And it could be as, as, as easy as emails and conversations. It could be uh, field trips and job shadows or a, a free ticket to a local industry conference or another convening that's going on that, that just opens up our girl's eyes even more. So yeah, at this stage, I would say, remove the stress and pressure about what a girl's going to do the rest of their life. Remove the stress and pressure about academic GPA. Cause coming from a college vice president, let me tell you that no one cares. Like no, Janice, what's, when's the last time someone asked you what your high school GPA was? <laughs> yeah. Right? I don't want to tell you how many years ago that was, but <laughs> it's, it's true. Like we, we care so much. And then one day suddenly it ceases to exist That's it. because once you get employed, no, everyone just wants to know, can you do what needs to be done? Not 
what did you get as a number on a piece of paper? And increasingly, employers, I mean, it's less relevant if they're going to be entrepreneurship, uh, you know, entrepreneurial yeah. and start their own thing, but if they're or join a startup, but if they're even going to be an employee, employers are now looking, they're, they're not just looking at the transcript. They're really looking at behaviors and out of school, you know, experiences, like what can you do and what can you do well? Not just what your GPA is. And, and I've seen employers time and time again, they will hire that student with a 3.1 GPA that has relevant work experience, relevant industry exposure, that has been involved in some local volunteer way over someone that has a 3.9, but is clueless. And they don't know anything about the world of, of work or who they are, how they want to impact it, but they've got good grades. And, and that's, that's a paradigm shift. I mean, we can acknowledge that that's a different now from our generation, dare I say. Yeah to date ourselves, but it used to be, you know, when I graduated high school in the nineties, it was about, you know, extracurricular activities and your GPA. Like that was, that was it. And now employers are really looking at what have you done? What evidence do you have? What's your portfolio? You know, what work experience do you have? And how do I know you're going to add value and not be a drain on us? And they're, they're not just looking for academic skill sets, but to some degree, worldliness and, and self-awareness and how they can add value. Yeah. I, I mean, we all like a sure bet, right? It, yeah. So employers are going to go with somebody that's already had exposure to the thing they want them for versus the academic exercise. That's it. That's it. And, and again, academics, to be very clear, it's important. All of our girls need to graduate from high school. You know, they, they, we need to reduce the dropout rate. We need to increase those that are graduating high school. But we cannot pretend that that's the goal or that even the getting into the college is the goal. I mean, that's why I actually define, you know, I called my book Redefining the Goal because it used to be for the last generation and a half, maybe two generations, the goal was just to get into college. Yeah. But I'll, I'll share with you one story. You know, as a, as a college vice president, I would see countless college graduates that graduated career confused, clueless, directionless, and they didn't really know what they were going to do. And and I, I felt so convicted, you know, year after year seeing that because the system is, again, it's setting them up for certain end goals, but it's not always to to be their best self or to fulfill their purpose. And and the goal certainly isn't to align always their personality with their passions and with their profession. That's not an explicit goal of many of many schools. So that's up to us. You know, that's yeah. up to us to, to look at and say, okay, then how can we help every student identify their ikigai? go through these four skills and four steps, have some social capital, feel motivated about solving a problem in the world. And that may include college. That may be community college. It may be university. It might be the military. It might be an apprenticeship. It might be entrepreneurship. And that's okay. Um, it might be studying abroad and teaching English for a few years. That's great. You know, and, and it's not perceiving as parents that that's somehow not good enough or that that's not going to help them become their best self. I, I think there are, I know there are many paths to win. There are 11 different ways to become a nurse. You know, there's not one right path. And so, and, and, and our daughter is, is just beginning to, to show who they are. They're not their yeah. full self yet. You know, I, I mean, we look at how different we were in sixth grade versus 12th grade versus 25 versus 35 years of age. And so they're still growing. We, we want to eliminate a lot of that pressure um, and, and really make it more about a, a journey of discovery than a race that needs to be won with some arbitrary, you know, arbitrary metrics. You know, the way you talk about this, it makes it so much more exciting and so much less stressful as a parent. And I think it does the same for our kids because, again, it takes a step back from I have to figure out my life and it says what's next. It empowers people to actually be curious. And the nature of being curious is that you're figuring things out. It's not that you have it figured out. 
and we're building upon what's already there and feels natural. And so I think we can't really ask for more for our girls in what they do next. You know, we have we have a majority of the workforce who is unhappy and That's unsatisfied right. in their current career. And we don't want that for our kids. You know, success redefining the goal is redefining success to include something that's sustainable and life-giving. And I think that that's great. That's awesome. I appreciate you for for sharing this message and, and for encouraging and empowering parents with with this to be able just to, to be that guide, to be that facilitator. You know, we don't have to know everything about everything. We don't. <laughs> we, know, we know we don't. Uh, that's a part why they're listening to this podcast, you know, to get those insights, to, to have that conversation. And I think it's really just about sitting down with our girls and asking questions and the right questions and, and helping them to be curious and to explore the alignment, uh, again, between, I would phrase it as the alignment between their personality, their passions, their profession, and their purpose. And if we can get those four things in alignment, then we're, regardless of their GPA, regardless of, you know, their after school, you know, or athletic achievements, like we're, we're doing a good job and we're going to help them be prepared to your first question. That's how we prepare students to be ready for life after high school graduation, not just be prepared for more school, but to be prepared for, for who they're going to be and, and to really leverage their best strengths and abilities uh, to help themselves and help others and to help their future families. Um, so that's a long-winded way of answering your initial question. And I just appreciate the the opportunity to share that and to, and to help to encourage other parents to do the same. Well, I appreciate you as well. And I want everyone uh, to have access to the really great videos. Like I love your videos so much. And I know I'm not the only one because you have many videos that go viral because they're just such aha moments so quick. So we'll make sure that we have access to the book and to your website and the videos that you provide to everybody and the show notes. And please check them out because they will help you as you get through that stressful period of trying to guide your child to what's next. Um, it, it doesn't have to feel like the end of the world and the weight of the world is on your shoulders because there is help and it's just what's next. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. Have an awesome week. Thank you for listening to the Raising Middle School Girls podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more conversations with experts designed to help you support your middle school girl, please hit subscribe. You can also sign up for the newsletter at the link in the show notes to receive emails about tips and resources, upcoming events, and new podcast episodes, all designed to support you and your child.